Welcome back, everyone, to yet another episode of Along the Keel. My name is Captain Zach, and in today's episode, we speak with Hans and Nick Shippers, who are traveling the country, educating people about the effects of plastic pollution on our oceans. It's a journey that they have dubbed the Schroed Trip, and best of all, it's being done in a bright blue school bus that they converted with the help of their family and friends. It was great being able to touch base with these guys and learn more about the story behind how two brothers ended up traveling across the United States and Canada, bringing to light the issues facing our oceans. Lots of amazing stories packed into this episode of the show, so I hope you enjoy, and be sure to stick around towards the end. Well, guys, uh, you know, welcome to the show. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on the show because, you know, looking at what you guys are doing and, and just learning all about the educational side of things and how you guys ended up in a blue bus crossing the country uh, as brothers is super cool. You know, I'm, a, I'm the oldest, uh, you know, in my family. I have a younger brother. So to be able to go on a trip with your brother and, and not only that, but follow your passion, I think is a super awesome way to spend your time and educate a lot of the younger population and the generations about, you know, plastic pollution, about the, you know, our oceans and so on and so forth. So Nick, Hans, it's a real pleasure to have you guys on the show and uh, welcome. Yeah, Zach. Thanks for having us, man. We're yeah. stoked. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, because we got two of you on, let's, uh, let's just go around the table and uh, let's start with the oldest and go to the youngest. So Nick, uh, introduce yourself and uh, yeah, tell us something about you. Yeah, so I'm Nicholas Shippers. I'm the oldest of Hans and I, and the middle of three brothers here. Uh, but yeah, I grew up in Washington State. Hans and I both did, and yeah, we both grew up surfing along our, our coastlines out here, which is a pretty rugged and remote coastline to grow up on and learn to surf on. Um, and we both spent an extensive amount of time over in Hawaii surfing over there too um but yeah we're just super excited to be here today and get this conversation rolling <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And hans you uh I, I was doing some reading on you you said you graduated from the university of hawaii yeah so when i uh got out of high school and was chasing the basketball dream and ended up actually at hawaii pacific university my freshman year Yep. Um, and then I ended up getting hurt and all my friends were on like the sailing team and stuff at University of Hawaii. So I, I ended up transferring over there. Um, and then, you know, just out of, out of boredom and, and interest in what sustainable coastlines and surf rider were up to started kind of falling down that path. But, um, yeah, I graduated in 2018, getting old now. Holy crap. Oh man. <laughs> That's awesome. So, you know, you guys both grew up in Washington, and when you guys were growing up, was there a strong connection to the water? I mean, you said you surf, so I'm assuming you probably started at a younger age getting into that. Was that a was that a thing your parents kind of passed on to you, or something that you picked up on your own? Yeah. So our parents were both collegiate athletes. Uh, our mom played basketball, and our dad ran track and field, and we were always pushed pretty hard to get into, you know, conventional sports. Um, but at the same time, our dad was also super into surfing and kite surfing and that kind of thing. And he, from a pretty young age, was pushing us to get into that as more of like a, a hobby um, or something just to keep us busy on the side of all our other sports that we were playing all the time. And so at least from how I look at it, surfing and, and kite surfing, was something that we would do as like a family uh, 
and it was something we would come back to after times when we were super busy or times when we have been, you know, off doing our own thing and playing our sports. It was something when we finally had a break and had a chance to like step back and away from everything, we would come back together and it would always be coming back together on the coast or around the ocean and playing in the water and doing things like surfing and kiting. Interesting. So the ocean's kind of been that that baseline for you and your family, almost that one thing to keep coming back to. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I don't think we re- realize that we definitely end up in this work at all. But <laughs> I think that connection's <laughs> yeah, kind of right? kind of always been there as like an escape or or whatever from what's on land and get out on the ocean and connect with something that's real. I think our dad kind of, you know, obviously took that more seriously than us at that age but he knew it was important to involve us in something that we weren't necessarily comfortable in and kind of push us outside our comfort zones to to realize what else was out there so it was good because we had a pretty much a plan b to fall back on when conventional sports didn't work out so the sport away from the sport yeah i love it yeah and you know the ocean's funny how it does that and it, it you know in a lot of ways it is really uncomfortable you know because you know one day it's flat calm and going for a swim is no big deal but then the other days it's just you know gnarly and the currents ripping and the waves are choppy and so it, you know it, that those variables add up right and i think it's a I think it's a great metaphor for life too, in general, yeah. right? The ocean's not always calm; it's not always flat. It, there's gonna be bumps in the road and, and you know choppy weather, you know, ahead. So, so how did you guys wind up in Hawaii? Because two brothers, right? You know, Hans, you said you're 25. Nick, you're 27. So you, you have kind of an age gap. Um, what brought you both to Hawaii? I know Hans, you said college, but Nick, how did you end up there? Yeah. So as kids, uh, we would. We were pretty lucky as kids before the recession hit in 08, and we were able to go to Hawaii about once a year for nearly a month out of every year. We would go over there to oh, nice. most often to Maui um, and spend that time on Maui kite surfing and surfing. Um, and so we grew up going to Hawaii quite frequently. And when Hans finally hit me up, he was finishing up his undergrad at UH and I was actually finishing up graduate school at University of Washington here in Washington State. Um, Hans hit me up and he's like, hey, I've been working with Sustainable Coastlines Hawaii over here. And at the same time, I was also working with Surfrider Foundation in Seattle. Um, and he was like, I kind of want to try and organize a trip. Do you think you could like get over here and, and do this training that Sustainable Coast Science Hawaii offers to become an educator about plastic pollution. And I was like, yeah, maybe I can make that happen, but I have like 200, right. 200 bucks. Like, <laughs> so I ended up uh, maxing out a friend's credit card nice. and buying a <laughs> ticket to Oahu and then on to Molokai, which is where Sustainable Coast Science was doing a, a week long of education followed by a cleanup event. Um, and yeah, so sort of just snuck over there last minute in the middle of August and spent a week and a half on Molokai teaching and and helping out and preparing for the cleanup event that they were going to host. And then unfortunately I had to leave like right before the cleanup because I had to get back to work in Seattle. So I was only able to like squeak over there just for the training, but it was pretty fun. And that's kind of where it all started for us once, once it was had this idea and wanted to run with it. And I think for him, 
I always give him a hard time. I'm like, you just wanted to go on a surf trip. Like, <laughs> I don't blame you at all. <laughs> Not a bad excuse, but. Yeah, I think for me too, I mean, I was just out of college and I had gotten, I did all the, like the applying for jobs things and, you know, had it planned out in my head that I was going to get a good paying job and start going about the normal, uh, you know, nine to five and, and save your money, buy a house thing. And, uh, that sounds boring. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's super boring. <laughs> and it turned out to be exactly that. And I just couldn't, I ended up getting hired by the solar company where I was selling solar in this big box store. And it was not what I got my degree in, in that field for, because I, finished with an undergrad, but it was pretty heavily environmentally focused and I wanted to go do something good. So I only lasted about four months before I called Nick and we, uh, we just can't do the nine to five thing. It wasn't for us. So kind of came up with that idea and, and here we are today. So, yeah. So you guys end up, you know, you did an internship with uh, Sustainable Coastlines. Nick was like, yeah, let's go check it out, do some training. So when did everything kind of start to, well, first of all, you know, those who aren't 100% aware of Sustainable Coastlines, why we did an episode with them uh, back towards the beginning of the podcast when it first started and, you know, spoke with Raphael Bergstrom about, you know, what he does and his involvement in it. And, you know, can you guys kind of give someone a brief overview as to what Sustainable Coastlines uh, is doing over in Hawaii? Yeah. So, I mean, in a nutshell, their mission is to inspire local communities to care for their coastlines. Um, And they do that through hands-on beach cleanups that involve uh, thousands of volunteers. They've they've hosted some of the largest cleanups in the world, honestly. Um, And... I think part of that's due to Hawaii being a, a smaller, more tight knit community, but also mm. um, in terms of plastic pollution, Hawaii sees some of the worst plastic pollution in the world. So it's not like not obvious to to the human eye. So they've done a really good job out, about involving community and making it fun, which is really key and something that Nick and I focus on. Um, but they make it fun through live music, uh, you know, free food. And they make it about bringing the community together, um, bringing the family out and having a beach day after you clean the beach for a few hours. Uh, right. And that's like a missing component community is in, in solving a lot of the issues that we have. So Sustainable Coastlines is a super rad organization and, and Raf and Kahi are both have both been executive directors of it and, and they've done an awesome job. Yeah, they certainly have. And I love the perspective they bring to it because at the end of the day, going to the ocean, going to the beach is supposed to be fun, you know, right? It's supposed to, we're supposed to have that perspective and to just go and, you know, clean the beach is awesome of in itself. But to bring that element as to, you know, kind of why we're doing it, I think is, you know, an awesome approach. And I think that's why they've been so successful doing it. So what do you think drew you guys to, you know, working with Sustainable Coastlines Hawaii? Because that takes a certain type of person. Yeah, that's a good question. Hans can definitely speak to that because he started interning with them uh, while he was in Hawaii in in school. I think for me, just a little more background, Zach, about kind of how I got into all this was I was going to the University of Washington for undergrad as well. Um, And my short-lived collegiate track and field career (laughs) 
kind of led me to wonder, you know, like what else am I going to do? What is what is my professional career going to really be besides running? Um, right. And I had tried like math. I had tried a bunch of other majors in undergraduate and I really just wasn't clicking with anything. And then I finally stumbled my way into an environmental studies class. And that really stuck with me just talking about climate change and something that seemed more relevant in this day and age and something that felt like a conversation that more people needed to be having. Um, and that kind of grew into me pursuing a master's in environmental policy, but all the while being engaged in the nonprofit sector, I think was a huge part of that for me, uh, mm -hmm. and working with Surfrider. And I don't know whether my role with Surfrider through my undergrad and graduate school influenced Hans to want to get involved with the nonprofit or not. But I think that being connected to a nonprofit and sort of chatting with Hans about that as he was going through school, Hans was always like highly involved in trying to get involved in a bunch of different stuff all the time. And so sustainable coastlines for him was kind of a natural extension of his being in Hawaii. And right. my my role in it, I think, is just a natural extension of already being kind of deeply ingrained in the environmental work that was going on. Um, but yeah, I don't know if Hans wants to speak to that more. Yeah, well, I mean, we didn't, I think choosing to work with them wasn't like something that was a big decision. We were kind of just going for it because we were like, you know, like this is a rad group of people that we know pretty well. And it's a small organization. So, you know, you have friends in it. Um, and they're backing your idea 100%. So that was really, you know, the motivational push was like, hey, these guys are a small group of good people that want you to go do something good. So right. they like made it that much easier to just kind of send it and, and go for it. And and that's pretty much exactly what we did. Because <laughs> we, we, well, yeah. we ended up flying home or Nick flew home from Molokai. And then I ended up moving out of my house at the time. Um, and flying home about a, a week and a half later and we bought this bus. Nick actually bought the bus out in Squim, Washington. And he's like, dude, I got us a rig. Like we just got to build it out and we're good to go. So. That's awesome. So now, you know, tell us more about the bus because, you know, if you go on your Instagram, you go on your website, the bus really is kind of this, this vessel for what you guys are doing. Right. Not only is it transporting you, but you're living in it. You're you're kind of like everything kind of revolves around this bus. So give us the rundown. Like what kind of bus is it? How what was the process? I'm sure there's a story about how you bought it, because, I mean, I can tell you the story about how I got my first place in Hawaii and, you know, and, and just the craziness that went on. So go for it. Let's hear all about the bus. I'm really curious. Yeah. Uh, well, the first bus we were actually looking at, Hans went and test drove and it was an old uh, like mobile library and Hans came back from the test drive on that one and he was like this thing was huge and so loud and he's like I can't there's no way we can drive that down the coast like we won't be able to hear each other right so we were we initially started looking at vans was kind of how it all started we were like okay well we're gonna have to go and teach we're gonna need vehicles to do it let's try and get vans and like play off the whole van life thing, but make it more impactful. And mm -hmm. so we were looking at like two separate vans and this and that, and it ended up being that like, we couldn't find two vans for like a cheap enough cost. 
we had like no money. So we were like, what is the cheapest way we can get like an RV or something like a van? And we were like, well, we're going to be going to schools. So why don't we try and just get a school bus? It makes a lot of sense. You like, roll up to yeah. school in a school bus. And that seemed to be pretty fitting. So in our search for a vehicle, we started browsing through school buses on Craigslist. And this one popped up about an hour and a half from where we live. And Hans was out of town at the time. And I drove out to check it out. And I was like, yeah, this thing's sick. But <laughs> never driven a school bus before. I didn't know, like, I didn't know too much about, like, diesel mechanic, uh, which we learned a lot about over the last two years now just having that thing but i got that bus and i should have known probably at the time that the transmission was about to go out in it mm -hmm. i had no idea i thought it was fine i was like oh yeah this thing's sick it looked like it was in good shape it still had all the seats in it had the handicap lift in it and like i went with my mom to purchase it and she was like yeah like it looks nice like <laughs> I was like, that's awesome all right let's get it then so so we bought it off this guy out in squim and i think he knew that it was probably on the on its last legs and was trying to just get out from under it before he had to pay for the repairs right um, seems like a lot of craigslist ads go that way yeah that that's a pretty good you know that kind of sums up craigslist and facebook marketplace although i feel like facebook marketplace it's uh, you kind of have to be, play the good card because then they they can just go find you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Can <laughs> bet you out. Right, right. So you get this bus, and you know Hans, you're away. Nick is like, all right, we got this bus. Now what? So do you start ripping it apart and just making it your own? How did you guys go about that? Yeah, so yeah. I would, I'd, I'd say that I mean to take a step back, we kind of the goal was that sustainable coastlines educates. 10,000 students every year, or they try to in the Hawaiian islands. Mm -hmm. And we are basically trying to take that model with that curriculum and bring it to the West coast. Um, and we were working with Kahi Picaro, the guy, the former executive director of sustainable coastlines, who's now is our boss at parlay. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we kind of had this set deadline that we needed to leave by. And it was September when school started going. Um, and that definitely put the pressure on us. So we got, yeah, I bet So I had to fly home in, in a hurry and we just started kind of gutting it out and, and going about the build. I don't know if Nick wants to. Yeah, the build. So our dad is a long time, um, construction manager and, okay. and he's done a lot of like contract work and general contracting stuff. So he knows how to do a lot of that stuff. And we grew up around job sites our whole life so we were shagging two by fours for him when we were pretty young <laughs> and helping him frame houses and stuff like that so we that's awesome spent a good amount of time around like construction world and after kind of emptying the whole bus out and ripping it apart uh the cool thing about buses is especially the one we purchased they're just like a giant square so like yeah once you start building, it all goes pretty quick. You don't have to account for any like super weird curves or like weird shape. The whole thing's just like a big box. So right. it's a lot quicker to build one out than it seems like, you know, a lot of those van builds that you see, they got to account for the roof being all weird and all this. And like with the bus, it's just like one giant shipping container on wheels and you can just go for it. So 
we kind of hashed out a couple of different plans about how we do like the layout of the bus. Originally we were going to do like bunk beds in the back. Um, but we, we came to kind of settle on a pretty open concept. And the, the goal of it was like, how can we make this thing like not complicated, but super, super functional and just something right. that works really well and will get us through this trip and do it on the cheap because we're running on borrowed time and borrowed money. And so sure. it was, it was pretty quick. We were able to do the full conversion in about two months. Um, and, and did you guys get the bunk beds? No bunk beds. So the beds <laughs> no are bunk beds? the beds are more like they're like our couches, and they actually slide out into beds. And then all right, underneath... I was going to say because there's so much room for activities. With <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You just got to get your samurai sword. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll redo it and do some bunk beds on the inside next time. Um, there you go. <laughs> So what do you what do you pull out the couch and you kind of have your bed there and then it, when you know when you're done you slip it back in kind of like an RV. Yeah, exactly. And there's like okay. storage under the beds and the beds the storage underneath them is like where all the, the we fit all the batteries and the wiring and the plumbing for the sink and all that in there. Um, we have like a 20 gallon water tank on board, which is pretty nice. It's got an outdoor shower. It's got a fridge. Wow. There you go. Much, we have everything except the bathroom, you know. Um, right, and, right. But you guys are pretty set. I mean, you can kind of, I mean, I've done a lot of backpacking of road trips. And honestly, the bathroom's not hard to find. Yeah. Right? You just kind of pull over and you figure it out eventually and you just kind of get in the rhythm. But exactly. um, that's awesome. That's super cool. And, and to have built it yourself, I mean, that means a lot too. And I'm sure, you know, with your dad and you guys being brothers and your mom going to help pick it out. I mean, that's kind of like a... That's such an awesome memory to have as a family yeah. that, um, I mean, that's just super cool. So I'm sure there was a moment in time where it's like, all right, the bus is done. You know, we, we can't do anything more to it, although maybe we want to do some other stuff, but we'll wait on that. And then there's that moment of, all right, we got we to gotta get going, like down the road, you know. So what can you walk me through that day? Because I'm sure it might stick out to you as to, you know, you close the bus door, and I can imagine you grabbing that handle, right, that typical bus driver handle, yeah. and then closing it and just heading it down the coastline. What was that, I mean, that initial, you know, push? Yeah, it was It was really cold that day. It was, <laughs> uh, there was ice everywhere. 28 degrees, and <laughs> us in our minds we were just like, oh, let's get to California where it's nice and warm. But um, that day, was it was, it was a good day because we were it was all this you know anticipation and then we were finally doing it and it was kind of hard to believe at first that we were like getting in a bus and kind of going for it right. um and the funny part is is we didn't even drive that far from our house because we drove to the first school which was like an hour and a half away in port <laughs> angeles <laughs> but we uh yeah we just camped out there and and i think for both of us, we were just, it was the unknown, you know, like we're doing something that nobody's really done before and we don't even know what's to come of it, but we just had this goal and we were pretty set at, at going to hit that. Yeah. So walk us through, you know, cause you, I mean, you have the bus, you're driving down the coastline and I've actually been to Port Angeles, really cool spot. Um, actually the whole, you know, the peninsula over there in Washington is amazing. Yeah. Um, so 
you guys arrive on a school, I mean, what does that look like? Because, you know, you guys are really the ambassadors for the younger generation, you know, and, and having that role, there's a, there's a really big role to fill, you know, you're kind of setting the stage for, you know, future conservationists, environmentalists, maybe a marine biologist wrapped in there. I mean, you know, the list can go on and on. So what exactly do you guys provide for these schools and, and how does it all work? Yeah. So we had, already been educating quite a bit before we left so that was kind of nice because while we were building out the bus we were teaching at the same time in in, in the area that we lived so okay we were able to to kind of get the curriculum figured out and work out some of the kinks with it while we mm-hmm. were while we were building out the bus but then once we left and kind of hit the road it was like okay so like now we kind of know and have a sense, but now we actually have some time to like really focus on refining like the story that we're telling these kids. Um, And our goal in in every classroom we go into, and I think we've gotten better and better and better at it, obviously, the more we've taught, but our goal is always to leave the kids with a, an understanding of the problem, right? So just what is plastic pollution and how's it, how's it an issue for us? And then B, a, a true and, and profound understanding that they can have a role in this situation and, and take action on the, on the problem, you know? Um, right. With a lot of the schools that we visit, we we're focused on lower income schools for the first year and we still try to predominantly reach lower income schools, but mm-hmm. you go into lower income schools and like almost any title one school you go to, those kids have so many things on their plate already. Um, Right. Whether it's, you know, family trouble or lack of financial resources, like these kids are just overburdened to begin with. And so telling them that there's another problem out there isn't necessarily the most like great thing in the world. They don't necessarily want to hear that, you know, <laughs> like right. I got all these other problems and then you're telling me the world's ending on top of it. Like what's wrong right. with you, man? Yeah, something else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. So we always try to set the stage of like, well, we're going to hit you really hard here for like 15 or 20 minutes about the reality of the problem. But as soon as we're through that, just so you guys know, and we'll always like lead our presentations with this, like the whole reason we're here right now is because we believe that we can make positive change on this and that this problem, even though it seems like such an overwhelming thing, it actually is an opportunity for us to come together as a community and, and to come together as a school, even and, be not just better, but more supportive of one another and make each other better. So right. it's framing it in a way where like plastic pollution is something that's so tangible and it's so easy for people to grasp as an issue that you can get everyone from kindergarten through 12th grade on board with it and, and have them feel like they're a part of the solution and a part of something greater than themselves. And at the end of the day, that's bringing people, it makes them, you know, it makes people less selfish, makes people more inspired and it makes people just feel happier in general. So that's what we're trying to get to with every group of kids. And it takes, takes time and practice and Hans and I have kind of, you know, refined it over the, over the last two years, but. Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) But yeah, no, I mean, exactly what Nick said, but I think, uh, to answer your question about what does it look like when we roll up to a school. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, uh, the bus, when we first got it, we got 
this decal put on by our uncle who, who knows how to do it. And it said, you know, sustainable coastlines Hawaii on both sides. And then we picked up some sponsors that we put on like the bottom half of the, the panels there. Um, yeah. Not to mention it's bright blue. Yeah. Bright blue. So <laughs> we did, we definitely got a lot of mixed responses going down the coast. Cause there's some pretty conservative communities that are kind of standoffish towards the whole environmentalist thing. Um, right. But, and even some of the schools too, when we roll up to a school, I think that's like in itself, it already draws the question like, whoa, what is this? What's going it's, on? It's a yeah. gi- giant blue bus. So, I mean, we've seen everything from kids like coming out to greet us to like eyes peeled through the windows. And <laughs> they, the teachers are usually pretty stoked once they realize what we're about and stuff. So they'll give us a, su- right. a sweet parking spot right in front of the, the school. <laughs> nice. Uh, but Maybe a water hook. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, so good fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it is, and I'm sure the reaction you guys get from these kids, and and you said mostly what kindergarten through twelfth grade is is kind of who you're dealing with. That was our focus when we first left. Okay. Um, that's that grew to encompass college and even like companies. Now we will go into to organizations, uh, companies, oh, wow. and other other nonprofits and all kinds of stuff, and, and give them a talk. Um. But yeah, when we That's when awesome. we first set out, it was just K through twelve, and we we love talking to the older groups now. At least I I do enjoy it because I feel mm-hmm. like the conversation can go so much deeper. But with the younger kids, it's like it's more surface level, and you're more looking at immediate action, which is always super fun too. Right, and I'm sure the reaction from them versus an adult is just a it's it's you know put simply it's more fun yeah right i mean they, they get way more excited way more into it and they want to help as much as they can any any of the any stories along the trip or students that stick out to you as to you know going there not knowing anything about plastic pollution and then all of a sudden they're like all about it all in yeah i mean we've had a, a few pretty heroic stories in some of the schools that we visited um mm-hmm. and our good friend Michael Doshi, he works for Algalita, and he always says, you know, you might teach an audience of three or 400 kids, but all you need is one. And right. one kid to take the, the lead and, and be like the shining example of what their classmates could be. Not that we don't want to leave the other kids out, but you do need that initial lead role. But um, particular stories, I think. Oh man, what do I you got mean? one. Yeah, <laughs> you got one. Um, yeah, no, the one that stands out for me always is this girl in Brookings, Oregon, um, and she went to Brookings Harbor High School, which is a pretty small high school and definitely a, a underfunded school. Um, and she brought up the fact that every it was like once a month, I believe it was, they, they do a community talk that's hosted by one of the teachers in the school. And mm-hmm. it's almost like a TED talk, you know, but it's like whatever the community wants to talk about or whatever the, the teachers had like come up with as a topic for the community. And right. after a presentation, this girl, basically, we had... 90 minute like block schedule classes with them so we had our presentation went about an hour with them and then we had like open q a slash just like brainstorming time with the students for an half an hour which was really awesome mm-hmm. 
And she was just determined to make a plastic pollution presentation for her community. That's so awesome. it was something that like, whatever we taught, she wanted to take that and she wanted the whole community to be on board and went on to do that presentation. And then not only do that presentation, but host a beach cleanup for the community as well. Oh, no way. Which was like huge because we didn't have enough time in that region to host a beach cleanup. We tried to in a lot of the areas that we went, but it was just depending on the, on the schedule we were on. Um, right. And so she, yeah. she just like took it and pretty much took over it for her entire community, which was awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, it's giving me goosebumps right now because you guys literally inspired her to go ahead and do that. Yeah. I mean, that must be such a cool feeling. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, I think when we're, when we were on the road, you know, you don't recognize it, but you do recognize it when they, you know, three, four months down the road, when you're, when we were going through Canada, we started getting all these messages about kids that had done things in their schools or like ditch plastic utensils. And you're just like, whoa, like we didn't even realize that change was being made. And now it's like snowballing. So that was, that was cool to, to watch for sure. Yeah, it's super cool to get messages like that. And even, you know, heck, doing this podcast, you know, all of a sudden you'll get a message and it's like, oh, man, really love the show. And it's like, wow, that I didn't even think anyone was going to listen when I first started it. And, uh, you know, here I am with random people just, you know, giving me a shout out or something like that, which is really cool. And, you know, a similar feeling. Um, but to kind of, you know, relate to you on the fact that people, you know, you're, you're inspiring change. You know, when I was working in Hawaii, um, I was working as a captain. And for me, I always tried to make it a goal to, especially if there was kids on board, to really teach and show, you know, what it means to be on the water. Because I don't think a lot of people have that opportunity just because the majority of the country is, you know, a lot of people live on the interior. or They don't have the opportunity to go on a boat or get near the coastline. And so to be able to do that and provide that to someone it would be almost selfish not to, you know, like for you guys, right? You have this, this knowledge and have grown up on the water. So it's almost, it's almost like a duty, right? To go share this knowledge and, and passion to other people. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think too, you know, we, we don't just talk about plastic pollution in, in the classrooms, but we talk just about how fascinating the oceans are and that, you know, this enigma can produce most of the oxygen we breathe and, and just connecting the kids to that, I think is super important. Um, and, and like you're saying, to share that is also almost equally as important. So <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, it's crazy. I think I read it's like what every third breath is made by the ocean or something like that. Yeah, it's something crazy. It's 50 to 85 percent of the oxygen in the atmosphere at any given point. Yeah, it's incredible. And most people just think it's trees, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's really the ocean. So so, you know, I think it's super, you know, what you guys are doing is is incredible, right? And but I think it's really cool that you guys are brothers, you know, cuz having a brother um and being the older brother, it it's always cool to go on, you know, a trip or do something with them. Is that I mean, how's you guys' relationship, you know? being family and it sounds as though your family is such an integral part to this road trip you know from the building of the bus to you know your day-to-day you know waking up in the morning yeah that's a great question though 
<laughs> Definitely. Uh, I mean, you can tell the truth, you know. Yeah, I, I think. <laughs> I'm, I'm, careful what you say. At <laughs> uh, first, it was we were fully supportive of each other because we needed each other to get through it, you know, because we mm -hmm. had you know no idea where we were. We had no money in our bank accounts, and we were just going for it. So, as most great stories start, right? Yeah, and I think over time our relationship uh, has definitely definitely matured. Uh, I think living in a school bus definitely pushes your relationship to with your family member to ask the right questions about, you know, how close are we actually? So, right. I don't know. It's interesting. I think over over the time and over the years of doing this now, we're definitely annoyed with each other a lot more. <laughs> but you know that person so well that it's almost like a safe feeling to be around them, right. because you've just been through so much together. But absolutely. Uh, well, and you know what not to do, right? Like you know, oh, this is going to really annoy him. I'm just not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've learned that, or maybe I haven't learned that lesson all the way yet, but. <laughs> But I just think too, like moving forward with whatever we do in life, it's going to, you know, that, that experience will help us get through things that maybe as a, as a family or, or even with each other down the road. Um, right. And, and we're working right now with Parlay to hopefully grow into roles where we're not in a school bus all the time, but have a little bit right, of independence. Get out of the bus. Yeah. 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 Well then, so, you know, that's a perfect segue because, you know, what, what exact, so parlay and how, what is that relationship to you guys and how does that all kind of coincide with sustainable coastlines, Hawaii, your personal goals, and then also the goals of the, the entire trip? Yeah. So I can, I mean, I would say our personal goals haven't changed a ton or we're still trying to impact the youth as much as we can. Um, with sustainable coastlines, Hawaii, we, had our goal for 10,000 students and in the spring of what was that 2018 that year yeah spring of 2018 2019 I think 2019 yeah <laughs> but in the spring we had finished our we've reached our goal so we were like oh wow like, oh we got our 10,000 students what now like Right. What do we do now? Do we do it again? Like, how are we going to organize this? And so right about the time we were like really starting to try and figure out what was going to be next. Um, Kahi, the former executive director of sustainable coastlines had switched roles and had started working with parlay. And okay. because we started this whole thing with Kahi, we were kind of like, well, like, okay, Kahi's gone. And like, we're just here with sustainable coastlines now and we're like done teaching for the year because school's ending and summer's coming and like everything had shifted and Kahi right when we were like at a loss Kahi was like hey boys want to come work for parlay for the summer <laughs> <laughs> and we were like okay Kahi what do you have in mind dude and so the parlay crew was doing uh like an international effort to do beach cleanups in partnership with corona um, okay. And Corona, the beer company, was working with them because Parlay was helping them uh, redesign their six-pack rings. So in everywhere but America, Corona is owned by a different company than they are in America. Yeah. And because of that, everywhere else they were doing uh, this effort with Parlay to do, like, upcycled cardboard 
six pack rings instead of the plastic ones for canned beer. Right. And we were being summoned to go to Canada to represent this effort. And the goal was to clean 850,000 meters of Canadian coastline and parks. Wow. Holy crap. And so we were like, okay, well, I think we can, we, I think we can do that. He's like, yeah, like we need an East coast team and a West coast team. Do you guys want to be the West coast team for Canada? And I was like, uh, I don't know. And Hans was like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I, think, sure. uh, I think at that point we were both just like, I mean, it was either that or go, you know, get a quote unquote real job. And that's like always loomed heavily over our head. So we were, mm. I think we were pretty keen to go do it, to just kind of keep this thing going to see where it actually would go, you know? Yeah. Right. And it was just a summer tour. So it would buy us like three months of time to kind of flush out what we were doing. Um, the big stipulation there was we had to be, you we in Southern California around Encinitas and we had to be in Toronto, Canada in a week. So wow, so you got to hump you had to, you had to hump it there. That's for so, sure. And not Jesus. only that, we had to re rebrand the school bus to parlay along the way. So right, we started driving, and about three or four hours into the drive after we left Encinitas, uh, I realized I left my phone and my wallet and the gas cap oh, for the no. bus at the gas station. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> And so that started our road trip across America. So, yeah, that was a haul. That the bus tops out at like fifty-five too. Jesus, I mean, you get some speed coming down the hills, but you hit a hill yeah. and you're going like twenty-five. Yeah. Oh my god. So it took a while, uh, and I think the biggest stint we did was from where was that? From Colorado to Chicago. We drove. Wow. And that wow. was just like. Nick's sleeping in the back, I'm driving, then I'm sleeping in the back, he's driving. Right. Did you guys stop at all, or was it just constant, just 24-7 driving? Uh, we stopped, so we stopped in Denver, because that's where we had to get the bus rebranded, um, and stayed there for like a day and a half. Uh, but then, yeah, when we made that push from Denver to Chicago, that was like, we left at 7 a.m. and didn't stop driving until like 3 or 4 a.m. the next day. Jesus. Yeah, I know the, I know that feeling. I've done the eastern seaboard like, I don't know, 12 times or so yeah. from Florida to Rhode Island and then across the country a few times and uh, just, you know, road trips in between. I, I totally know that feeling. Have you guys had any experiences, kind of getting sidetracked here, but any experiences on the road of just craziness that happens? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, breakdowns of the bus and that kind of thing. I mean, what do you mean by craziness? Well, <laughs> just, like, weird situations, like, you know, I don't know. Um, I've always had some stories where you meet someone, you're like, all of a sudden, this person becomes, like, a friend along the road. Or <laughs> just, like, this weird situation you find yourself in. Any Anything that kind of stands out? Yeah, uh, quite a, quite a few. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think I'm sure. in Canada, we were super lucky because we got to all these towns that we were supposed to host cleanups in that we've never even heard of before. And we just ha happened, like, it seemed like it was just this lucky thing that kept happening. And we'd meet, like, the most rad couple, like, living in a van or something. Right. Or, uh, like, 
these locals that are just, you know, super like maybe hick and they just love the, the cause <laughs> and the bus. And, and those have definitely turned into like friends for life now, you know, they, they, they support the cause to this day. And I think, you know, one that sticks out in our mind is we met this couple out of uh, Kenora or North Bay, Ontario, and they ended up meeting us all the way in Tofino at the end of our road trip for a clean. So they, wow, they, that's really cool. They followed us across the country pretty much, which is that's awesome. Yep. Yeah, that's wicked cool. So now, you know, shifting into, you know, with between sustainable coastlines into parlay, and then all of a sudden, right, we're, I mean, we're all experiencing this weird coronavirus thing. Yeah. So how have your efforts continued, but at the same time, you got to adapt, right? And, and how have they kind of shifted? So are you still working with parlay and doing that, or have you completely shifted and started doing other things? Yeah. And- I would say just real quick to tie it to the last question too. So like yeah, go for with Parlay, this, this tour was uh, just to do the cleanups for the summer. And that was like a really nice break for us from the education thing, but we really wanted to get back in the schools. And so right. the, the last year here, our goal was with Parlay to go do essentially the same thing, go reach 10,000 more students. Um, and slowly but surely start to build this into something where we were onboarding other educators and getting them to like do the education in their communities. Um, So the last year when we set off and that was no longer with Corona, obviously once you're in the schools, that's like a whole separate thing. So we set off to try and reach 10,000 more kids and work to kind of build that program out. And then yeah, come March, we were at like six or 7,000 students of our goal and Corona just really shut things down very quickly. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, quite immediate. Yeah. Yeah. We were in uh, Ventura, California when it all broke out and we went down to Encinitas for about uh, another month and just kind of hung out and our Kahi was like, let's just wait and like, let's see if what happens here. And then it just kept getting worse. So we, we ended up driving back home up to Washington mm-hmm. to our parents' house where we are now. And the goal was with Parlay, they were like, we want you guys to keep educating through this. And, and all the schools were shifting online. So we started hosting Google Hangout and Zoom classes with schools. And actually, it was interesting because it wasn't just on the West Coast of the U.S. anymore. We were getting inquiries from around the world which was a, a trip oh, wow. but um yeah we taught in poland yeah that was a weird one Did you really? yeah. <laughs> wow that's awesome works of online education that's crazy was there a language barrier at all or were they i mean i know people in europe typically speak multiple languages so but did you guys come into any you know issues with that no like it was an international school so they were english speaking okay um, but yeah, it was wild. We got to teach there. We taught in Mexico. That's wild. School down there that was English speaking. But yeah, that's awesome. Super cool. So now you know we're you know present moment. What's kind of the the goal for you know the SCH road trip and uh, what's you know what's next, right? 
Yeah, Shroud Trip. <laughs> is that how you guys pronounce it? Shroud Trip? Yeah, that's yeah. how we say it, but SCH Road Trip works. And, origi- and that's because your last name is Shippers, right? Yeah. You're just taking that? Yeah, okay. originally it was Sustainable Coastlines Hawaii Road Trip, and we were trying to merge that with our last name and make it like sh- okay. Shippers Sustainable Coastlines Hawaii kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty much just their last name now because of working with Parlay. Um, which isn't a bad thing by any means, but I think, you know, the evolution of Shroud Trip, I don't know if it will keep going. I think in at least what Hans and I had talked about is like onboarding more educators and then doing like an events tour every year where we'd go down the West Coast. Um, and the goal of the events would be to host like panel discussions and film screenings and other educational events that really just focused on community and bringing community together. Um, And then pairing that with training educators and and getting students educated. Um, But Hans and I kind of taking a step back from being the ones right in the classroom. Yeah. Right. Um, I think part of that too would be to uh, incorporate students that are out of college or fresh out of college, kind of looking for the next step to do, depending on what COVID does, but, and almost sending them out in the bus to, to keep the train rolling with that. Right. Yeah. Cause the education thing's not going anywhere. There's always going to be a gap for that. And kids are still going to be needed to be reached. So, yeah, absolutely. And, absolutely. Yeah. It's an important message, you know? Yeah. And, and with parlay right now, it's been awesome. I mean, we, when it first unfolded, we thought we were going to be out of a job. Um, but they've been working really hard uh, to, to be, you know, stand with us and, and allow us to kind of transition our roles. Um, and so what we've been working on a lot now is kind of focusing a little bit more on like smaller scale cleanups with Hans and I, and then developing alongside all of this kind of a plan of action for this next fall and working with them to try and figure out, you know, okay, can we educate and, and how much can we educate and just getting a better handle on like, what is the new normal going to be with, with COVID. Um, right. And it's, it's pretty amazing of them to, to stand with us there and, and, you know, let us work through that and try and try and figure it out as opposed Absolutely. to just being like, Nope, you're out on the road, figure it out. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, it's an awesome, you know, it sounds like an awesome organization to be a part of. And, you know, what you guys are doing is just incredible of and of itself. So, you know, as we kind of, you know, bring the ship into port here, do you guys find um, that there's ever been a moment, a person, a place, um, really anything that kind of sticks in your head that maybe put you on the on the track that you are on today? And like how you got to living in a blue bus crossing the country? <laughs> You know, because that's such a unique thing to be in, a position to be in, right? Yeah, yeah. it's definitely not normal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun. It's fun, yeah. yeah. It's fun. <laughs> um, that's a great question. I mean, I think we've been really fortunate to have numerous uh, people around our lives that are just inspired to, to do things big. And, and one of those for us definitely is, is our father. He's, he's very gung-ho on just kind of going for it and dealing with the repercussions later, uh, whether that be building <laughs> wow. a house that's too big that 
you know, they can't really afford or, or kite surfing and trying to throw the biggest air he can at the age he's at. I think um, he's definitely instilled that in us, that life's just too short not to take chances. And you never know where those chances might put you. Um, right. So I think from a young age, and that's kind of ingrained in his, obviously in our DNA, but also how we grew up is not to be afraid of things that might seem, you know, not real or, or is a dream and to chase your dreams because it's, it's so much more worth it than just following the status quo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Too much. There's too much time, you know, there's, there's, I'm sorry, there's not enough time to just go do the nine to five. Yeah. You know, yeah. you got to you got to you got to chase something else, whether it's, you know, you do the nine to five because you're, you know, you're trying to work towards something, you know, on, on after five o'clock, whether it's a, an athletic goal, a business goal or, or a combination of both or, you know, what have you. I think it's super important to have that one thing that you can go back to. And it's like a craft, you know, and just be able to pick away and pick away and pick away. And then, you know, one day it's either, it turns into a thing or maybe it crashes and burns, but at least you gave it a shot, Yeah. you know? So before I let you go, I always like to ask this question and it's why the ocean, right? Like why, why not get involved in something that helps the, the forests or, or, you know, why not be someone that is a ski instructor and, and, and is teaching skiing? Like why the ocean? Why that? Yeah, I think we can maybe take separate cracks at it, but I think for me, at least, I mean, the ocean is just honestly the most incredible place in the world. And when we go to the West coast here and go hike two, three miles into these waves that we have on the, you know, on the Washington coast, find yourself a lot of times just staring at this thing. And you're just like, wow, like what, what a trip that it's, the earth is mostly water and we're just this tiny little speck on land here. Um, so I think honestly, like for me, it's just like the fascinating part of why not the ocean is the better question. Yeah. <laughs> like, why are we not shifting the conversation in schools towards everything should be around, you know, nature obviously, but, but the ocean and, and the critical role it plays in keeping us alive and, and providing us with food and, and adventure and, and everything that we do. Yeah. I don't know. That's absolutely. the best I could try. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent with what Hans says. And I think we probably share a pretty similar idea of why the ocean, <laughs> um, but yeah, just to kind of build on that, I would say, I think just for people in general, water is, is so powerful. And like Hans and I just recently were, before COVID unfolded, we were at a youth summit that Alvalita has every year uh, down in California. And Wallace J. Nichols was talking. Um, and for everyone out there who doesn't know, he's the author of a book called Blue Mind. And he's a psychologist that studies the impact of water on the human brain. Mm. Um, and that stuff to me is super interesting. The psychology behind like how powerful it is just to be around the water or and it's, it's obvious to us as surfers, right? You go out there and you just sit there and like the peace that you get in the ocean is just something completely different than you'll get anywhere else. And getting more people to, to have that experience and to be able to connect with the natural world that way, I think it's just going to make this world a lot better place. And as much as we can do to facilitate that, I hope we, 
you're able to reach many, many more students and, and give them that chance, you know? Um, Absolutely. Connecting people with what's real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yep, totally agree. And hey, guys, you know, it's um, uh, what you guys are doing is incredible. You know, I, I love the concept. I love how you guys are going about it. You guys seem like, you know, I totally, you know, when, if I'm ever in Washington, go and have a beer with you because, you know, I feel like this conversation could continue on. But, um, you know, real pleasure to have you on. And, uh, you know, where can people find out more about uh, the Shred Trip? Yeah, so right now we have our, our website is just SCH Road Trip. Um, I think it's a dot com. But for now, just follow us on Instagram. That's probably the best one. Our website's pretty out of date. So our Instagram's at SCH Road Trip. And that's like where we do most of our media. And, and like if you message us on there, we'll definitely get back to you. So yeah, there and, and yeah. Uh, parlay.tv, they post updates of the projects that they're, they're helping run. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys, for being on the show and, uh, you know, looking forward to continuing the conversation sometime in the near future. Yeah, Yeah, Zach. Thank you for having us, man. Yeah, thank you. All right. Take care. Thank you, guys, for tuning in to this episode of Along the Keel. It was a real pleasure to have you here. And my guess is that because you made it this far, you probably enjoy it. So if you did, make sure to head on over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review because what that does is it gets these stories out there and gets more people like you to listen to them. So if you'd like to learn more about the show, be sure to head on over to alongthekeel.com. We have a full palette of content over there for you guys to consume and enjoy and learn more about some incredible companies, people, artists, innovators, entrepreneurs, and organizations that are supporting our oceans and blue economy. Be sure to also sign up for our newsletter. It's a once-a-month newsletter that curates all the best content into an amazing newsletter to help educate and get more people interested in our oceans. So, without further ado, I hope you work hard, do good, and be incredible, and have an awesome day.